if you're thankful for a friend named Jesus, say amen. amen. You know, there is nothing you went through this week that he was not with you. And there is nothing you will go through this week that he has not already been there. <laughs> Making your path straight, using it um, for your good and for his glory, whatever you face. Praise be to Jesus. Hmm. Um, I just wanted to say last week while I was uh, standing here preaching, I had a good friend of mine who was a district superintendent uh, a couple s- states away and while I was standing here preaching, he was standing there preaching, and while he was preaching, <laughs> um, he just passed out. He just went, Whoosh! and you know, there is nothing that will take away the spirit of a service like a district superintendent passing out while he's preaching. And they rushed him to the hospital, and the good news is he's doing well today. He had dehydrated and had a bug, and uh, the bad news is they're not asking him back to speak anymore. <laughs> I have been in a service before that uh, I was not preaching that day, but while the service was going on, there was a retired minister in my church, and he was sitting in the service, and at the end of the, uh, the message, the evangelist had everybody stand, and his last remark was, heaven, don't you want to go? And this man that was a retired minister in my church looked to his wife next to her and said, I think I'm going to heaven right now, and he had a heart attack and died in that service. Now... Uh, That seems like a tragic thing, but I just got to tell you, (laughs) I'd go that way. (laughs) Just uh, take me home, you know, hopefully, hopefully not while I'm preaching, but uh, he can take me home during worship. I would, I would enjoy that. Well, um, I know many of you have been praying about asking a friend or a relative, a neighbor, somebody who might come and join you for our one Sunday, you're one on April the 5th, and I hope that you've been doing that. Um, I've I've been encouraged because I've had many of you come and tell me, somebody came to me this morning and said, hey, they've already got three coming. I told you last week that, you know, you're really all we know here, and so literally we had to just pray that God would lay somebody on our heart, and so that first week I met somebody and just extended an invitation to them, and they're gonna, they agreed to come bring in their family on April 5th. This last week, I was, uh, talking, uh, I was talking with some uh, workers that were working back in the back, and um, one of them is uh, uh, one of the workers attends our church, and I think might even be in here today, and his parents attend, and, and I was asking them which service they come to, and then I turned to this other worker, and I said, and what service do you come to? And it was just like deer in the headlights. You know what I'm saying? Like a kid got caught with his hand in the cookie jar because he didn't go anywhere. And I said, uh, hey, I would count it a personal privilege if sometime this year you just, you'd come and be my friend. And uh, he said, I would like that. And I said, good, because I've got a date for you on April the 5th. And, and he said, he said that he is coming. You don't know this, but last week, um, there is, uh, there is a, a lady that you all know and love. I think she's in here today, Diana McCoy. Do you love Diana McCoy? Amen. Well, no, wait a minute. Don't clap yet. Because after, after this last week, she came down right after the service. Hey, wait a minute. Time out. If you are timing me, don't start yet, okay? I will let you know 
when I commenced to preaching. She came down at the end of the service and she was all excited. And she said, Pastor, I got to introduce you to somebody. I brought somebody Dave for the first time. I thought it was like a boyfriend or something like that. And uh, she introduced me to this young man in his early 20s. And I believe his name is Colby. And she was just like, I brought him today. And she says his first time here. She was all excited. And then she said, I said, well, what's the story? She said, well, I just go into Joanna, Joanne, Joanne Fabric or Joanna, Joanne Fabric. You tell her I don't go there much. And um, she said, I just built this friendship with him. And, one, and I just felt led to ask him to come. And uh, he came today as my friend. And I believe he's going to be here in the second service again today. Isn't that great? Now clap for her. Can you my water? And if all of you are thankful for a helpmate that gives me my water, I told you last week, I believe, why I have this, so you'll forgive me for that. Um, but I just want to encourage you uh, to um, just begin to pray. Can I read something to you that I read yesterday? This is, this is like really odd. I never thought I would do this quote or a quote from this organization. I saw an ad for Lions Club. Any Lions Club member? I don't know. You might be a member here. Um, here's what it said. <laughs> when was the last time you asked some friend to come join us? Getting, this is the Lions Club. Getting someone to come, they said, is so easy. All you have to do and I love this, is ask one. That's what it said. Um, and, and I love it when organizations like that copy us, right? And uh, so they were saying, who's your one? And then they went on to say, people do not come to Lions Club because we do not ask them. So bring a friend, a family member, or a co-worker to our next meeting. If you know of a past member, ask them to come and rejoin us. It's a new day. Who will be our next member? And then they close by saying, have you asked someone lately to come and join us? And I read that and I thought, can't we be as good as the Lions Club? We got much more to offer. Come on, amen? And so I just want to encourage you along that line. The other thing I want to, don't start timing me yet. Um, the other thing is you noticed this in your bulletin when you came in today. And I mentioned the first two weeks that one of the goals that Vicki and I have is to, get, is to know you, get connected with you. We're very relational and we want to know your story, want to get to know you, know your heart. And so um, imagine how hard that is for 800 people or 700, whatever it is, Right. So uh, we are going to have a giant party at Pastor Stan's house. <laughs> now, I went to a birthday party. In fact, uh, Sylvia up here played the piano. She had a b special birthday yesterday. She did an awesome, awesome job. And I was there at that birthday party. It was packed out, but we get a lot of people in your house. Um, Connie just said no. She just said no. Um, but what we would like for you to do, if you would just fill this out, put your name on there. You, don't, you may not even know all the information. If you just put your name on there, and, and if you would like to get... So here's the deal. We're not going to like show up at your house for dinner or just knock on your door like 8 or 9 o'clock at night. Don't you love that? Just somebody knocks on your door. 
um, and you go for the gun. So uh, if you will just fill this out and put like maybe how you'd like to connect with us. It might be, hey, let's go do a meal together. We've already done several meals with some of you and it has been such a delight. Maybe it's just, uh, hey, let's get together and have coffee or whatever. Or maybe you just want to stop by the church and we'll just set up times and we're going to give everybody that wants to an opportunity and we will do every one of those. But if you don't want that, we're not forcing it on you, but I want to give you that opportunity. Is that okay? All right. Now, start timing me. Here we go. Chip and Joanna Gaines became famous through their show. I think you know the name of it, Fixer Upper. Um, they take these rundown houses and they restore them into a thing of beauty. And just a few weeks ago, uh, Vicky and I were there in Waco to see where it all began. We kind of went and saw some of the places they had restored. And uh, when the show first started several years ago, we would just watch every week. Anybody else watch it? Come on. Just be honest. Yeah. Some of you told me, hey, we've been to Waco. You've been telling me your stories. We've been trading stories a little bit. And, um, and so, you know, it, it was just, it was fascinating. Uh, people were just, there was something about watching somebody take a broken down house, um, putting some money into it and restoring it into this wonderful, beautiful home. And um, I used to love the show. I just used to love to watch it um, until Vicky started walking through our house and she'd say like, I want to tear down these walls. I want to knock out these cabinets. I want to put up some shiplap, you know. <laughs> Did anybody before this show even know what shiplap was? Nobody, but now everybody wants it. So in the coming weeks, what I want to do is I want to look at four biblical relationships that are filled with neglect and despair and what I would say were broken down and see if there are some things that we can learn. Now, I talked to you last week about the fact that there, uh, I'm going to talk about, today I'm going to talk about a marriage in particular, uh, a peculiar marriage as we get into it, but the principles of this go beyond just a couple in a marriage. It goes into our relationships. It's how we treat each other. It's things that we do in our life to build the relationships up. And so you may be here today and you may be married. Maybe you're married like 50, 60, 70 years. Here's what I have found with Vicki because our relationship today is so much sweeter than it was when we first got married. Can I get an amen? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, when we got married, I thought, oh, it can't get any better than this, right? And then I woke up one day and I saw what she looked like without makeup on. And it was, <laughs> and she saw me. Um, and so we've had to grow in this relationship. But what I found is the more we have grown and worked through some of these things that could cause a breakdown, the relationship has just gotten so much sweeter. And so I want you to open your Bibles, whether it's a hard copy or if you have an electronic copy of your Bible, that's fine. Turn to Genesis chapter 29. Now, before we get into that, I want to ask a question. How many of you ladies, um, when you were like a little girl, maybe even um, as you begin to grow, even into a, a teenager, you dreamed of finding the perfect man and having the perfect wedding, and you even had maybe a hope chest started, and you dreamed about the day that you would get married, and you even started naming your kids before you were ever married. Did anybody do that? Come on, hands up. Hands up across this place. Okay, a few of you that are honest. The rest of you shouldn't take communion today. <laughs> now, let me ask this question. 
How many, how many, this is to the guys. How many of you did any of that? Guys, anybody? No, there is no guy that ever sat and thought about all of those things because they didn't care because the only thing they had on their mind was the honeymoon, right? And, uh, and when it comes to, here's the thing. When it comes to romantic love, what we tend to teach, especially young girls, is one day you're going to meet Mr. Right, and there's one out there for you, and he'll be the one, and you'll get a house, and you'll get, you know, a dog, and you'll get white picket fence, and you'll get kids, and you're just going to live happily ever after. Now, I've pastored for quite a while, and what I have found is... Happiness doesn't come in a lot of marriages. There are a lot of marriages that get broken down. There are a lot of relationships that get broken down. There are some relationships and some marriages that exist, but it is a stale relationship. And instead of, like, the, like I said with us, the longer we've been married, the sweeter it gets. It's kind of like it plateaus and sometimes even begins to decline a little bit because just getting married or just having a relationship doesn't make you happy. Now, today we're going to look at a story of a man who falls in love with one woman, marries another woman, and then comes back and gets the first woman finally. And this, I'm just telling you right up front, this is a crazy, messed up story. Our story is about a guy named Jacob. Some of you remember Jacob had a brother named Esau, and he betrayed his brother, stole his birthright, tricked his father. And now Jacob is um, a young man, and his mom doesn't want him to marry any of the women, the godless women around them. So she sends him to an, uh, where his uncle is, that his uncle could maybe introduce him to someone that would be wholesome and healthy for him. And so he travels to see his uncle, and as he pulls into town, he's getting some water, and he sees this girl named Rachel, and his eyes just bulge out. He, she was drop-dead gorgeous, and he falls in love with her. Like, he doesn't know anything about it. He just sees her, and he just falls in love with her. Now, um, this is, uh, you know, Rachel is his uncle Laban's daughter. Now, if you do the math, you will know that Rachel is also Jacob's cousin. I told you it, gets, it starts out a little odd. It gets worse. So Jacob falls in love with his cousin. He thinks, if I can just marry her, all my troubles will be gone. Come on, you know what I'm saying? It's like, if I could just have her, my whole life will finally have meaning. Now, there's a couple things that we know about Jacob. The first one is, is that Jacob never had the love of his father. And so this messed up life and this messed up marriage we're going to see today actually goes back and it begins with his relationship with his father. Never had the love of his father. Those of you who have never had the love of your dad or you had an absent father, you know what pain that can bring and you know what um, absence that is in your life. It just creates um, a lifetime of loneliness and often emptiness. The other thing we know about Jacob is that um, he lost the love of his mother when she died when he was very young, when his brother Benjamin was born. So in childbirth, she dies. So imagine how 
compounded his pain as he doesn't have the love of his father, only the love of his mother. And when he's just a little boy, his mother dies. And now he just feels like he has no one that loves him. He's lonely, he's broken, he's hurting. So when he sees this beautiful girl, he's thinking, she's the one. I must marry her. She will fulfill the emptiness in my life. She will heal the pain in my life. And as you read the story, you'll find out, but it doesn't. And I just, I just see this all the time. A girl who has been in a bad relationship in her home, maybe with her father, maybe with her mother. Uh, a girl who feels empty unless she has this boyfriend just to hang on all the time. Almost as if he's a piece of jewelry. A guy who has to have a smoking hot girl by his side always to impress his friends. And so in the midst of this story, we pick it up in Genesis chapter 29, starting with verse 16. And it says there, if you have your Bibles, read this with me. If not, it'll be on the screens. Now, Uncle Laban, so this is Joseph's Uncle Laban, had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the younger was Rachel. Verse 17 says, Leah had weak eyes. Time out. That is a very biblical, polite way to say she wasn't very attractive. She had weak eyes. Don't look at anybody right now. But Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. I've told you before that, uh, you know, when I was at Olivet, um, um, it's where I met Vicky. I had, a, I had a friend who tried to fix me up with Vicky initially before I had met Vicky. And I'm just telling you the honest truth. I, when he said, do you know Vicky Phelps? I thought to myself, I do. But the picture that came into mind was this uh, six foot six girl I knew who had a mustache and who looked a lot like Leah. Um, so when he asked me, would I go to dinner with him? I was like, oh man, sorry, I am booked up tonight. You know what I'm saying? And that evening I'm in Ludwig center at Olivet and I'm down in the basement getting mail. And I came up the stairs quickly. And as I came around the corner by that bookstore, boom, I literally ran into my friend and Vicky. And he said, oh, I think you already know Vicky Phelps. And I was like, oh no. Suddenly, my entire evening opened up um, as I looked at that woman with very strong eyes, all right? Now, I would never undervalue the importance of physical beauty. I think God uses that to give us attraction, oftentimes to our mate. But in our world, I think it is so often overvalued. We will see in this story that the less attractive Leah, the one with weaker eyes, was really a better option for Jacob, uh, so far superior than Rachel was when you look at her. But in our world so often today, all that matters is what's on the outside, what we see on the outside, the appearance, how they look. Now, Vicky's beauty attracted me to her, but I'm... That got my attention. But before we ever went out on our first date, we had spent hours and hours talking. We spent time together learning about each other. She knew about my call into ministry. I knew her heart for missions that she had. I learned that she had a godly heart and a love for people. 
The night I asked her out, we talked for four hours on the phone before I said that question. Uh, not because I was nervous, no, that had nothing to do with it. See, so many have pain and a dysfunctional past that hinders your relationships, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your relationships with your children, whether it's in your relationship with friends. And what I think the story of Jacob and Leah and Rachel will teach us today is that there are three things that hurt you if you think your relationships are going to be the answer for whatever it is that's missing or hurting or struggling in your life. The first one is, if that's what you think, you will compromise more than you think you should in your life. You will make more and more compromises in pursuit of that one person that you think is there, uh, that you think will satisfy you, that you think will fill the emptiness, that you think will fill the void, that you think will heal the pain. You give up some things that are important to you. You give up some things that are important to God. In verse 18, Jacob says to Uncle Laban, I'm in love with Rachel. I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter. And you need to understand that is, that's their culture then. A man would often purchase his bride with money or he would agree to work for her. Um, and you think, well, that's not very romantic, like you're purchasing her or whatever. But if you think about it, it really is quite romantic. This guy, Jacob, his very first offer was for nearly four times what a normal offer would be for a bride. He is so taken by her. He is so smitten by her. He offers four times what would usually be offered. I'll do anything for her. I'll give up more than I should give up because I want her so desperately. And I see the same thing happen a lot. A girl says, well, I want to I save myself until I'm married. And she meets a cute guy, and she thinks she wants to marry him. She thinks he's Mr. Right, and he pushes her in some way, sexually or in other ways. And she thinks, I would rather not. But if I give him my body, maybe he will give me his heart. Do you see the compromise? Or perhaps she's dating some guy who is a jerk. Again, don't look at anyone. And she thinks, if I, oh, I've heard this one so many. If I could just, if I could just marry him, I could change him. <laughs> see, some of you have done that, right? You're like, no, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I'll work, I'll work seven years. It would only be two years normally, but I'll work almost four times what I have to because I want it so desperately. I'll compromise. I'll give more. I will pay any price to have this one thing I desire. When you, when you think relationships are the answer, not only do you typically compromise, you become more demanding. You want more things from people. You demand more things. Look at verse 21. Jacob has worked his seven years, so he, he did his time, if you want to call it that. And then it says in verse 21, Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time's completed. I want to lie with her. I, I did my part. 
Now you send her over to me and she will do her part. Am I the only one that sees how shallow that is? This is what happens in so many marriages or even in relationships. Rather than being in a covenant where we will lay down our lives, where we covenant together in relationship, the marriage begins to erode into a contract. And you see this often in early years of someone that gets married. It's like, well, I did that and she didn't do that. And I did, I mean, I hear that all the time. Even in a good marriage or good friendships, it is easy for us to think or easy for us to say, hey, I did this. You ought to come through with this. Come on. And when you believe marriage or some friendship is the answer, oh, this is huge. You will always be dissatisfied. Always. If you think that's the answer, you will always come up short and you will always be unhappy. There is no way that any one person can ever fulfill every need in your life. And I know some of you are married to a wonderful man or a wonderful woman, but I am telling you they have not met every need in your life because God did not intend for one person to ever meet every need in our lives. He he worked seven years, Jacob. They had this wedding. The uncle's now got this problem. He's thinking, oh, man, our tradition says we got to marry off the first girl first. And I made this promise to him that I would give him Rachel. But Rachel's not the oldest. Leah is the oldest. Her eyes are weak. So my chances of marrying her off, I don't know. And the wedding feast would normally last up to seven days, sometimes longer. They would have a huge party. Chances are they were, this is a whole different message, but chances are they were doing some um, celebrating with alcohol. Chances are Jacob has been celebrating a lot. Uncle Laban's probably looking at this whole thing strategically and he's thinking, I got this issue, I promised him Rachel, but our tradition says Leah He's a little tipsy because of the celebration. So, you know, you normally have, uh, it was kind of like what we would call a rehearsal dinner, you know, except it lasted like seven days and then they'd have the consummation. And so he's like thinking, well, you know, Joseph or J- Jacob's a little tipsy and he doesn't really, you know, he's not, he's not going to know what I'm going to do. It's dark, it's night. So the scripture says he puts a bridal veil over Leah to seal the deal. Now look at verse 23. When evening came, Laban took Laban took his daughter, Leah, and gave her to Jacob. And Jacob lay with her. And when morning came, in other words, when he woke up, there's Leah. Say, uh-oh. <laughs> like, he wakes up, thinks he's with Rachel, he sees Leah, and that's a whole different message when we expect one thing and we have this disappointment and find out life gives us something else, that's a different message. And so he freaks out and he says to Uncle Liar, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? 
And, and I know there's deception going on, and I get the outward part of the story that's kind of on, you know, on the surface edge, but if you dive deeper here, I think the message is, for all of us, is that this is going to happen anytime you think someone else can meet all of your needs, that someone else can ultimately make me happy by meeting all my needs. Because when you have unresolved pain in your past, when you come into a relationship with your emotional cup overflowing from pain that has happened as you've grown up, whether it was a mom and a dad who abused you, whether it was a person that abused or hurt you, whether it was friendships that went sour and you carry all that into a relationship and you think marriage is now the answer to your happiness or a friendship is now going to be the answer to your happiness, you are always going to think you're going to bed with Rachel and you will wake up with Leah. And I'm dead serious about that. Your life will just be filled with disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. Your spouse will never meet all of your expectations and you'll be disappointed and you'll think thoughts like, why did I marry them? I married the wrong one. This exact thing happens in relationships that we bank on. Your friendships will always come up short because there is no person that God has put on this earth that can do that for you and meet all of your needs. And Leah was doing the same thing. She's like, I'm older. I'm supposed to get married first. I deserve this. And she thinks to herself, you can read this in the scripture, if I give him my body, he will give me his heart. And Leah's story is so many people's story. She thinks over and over, if I do this, he will love me. If I do this, he will care for me. If I do this, I will be special to him. And then in verse 31, look at, look at verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, She'd been used. She was a commodity. He didn't care for her. He didn't want her. He got stuck with her. And she's feeling this pain. And when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened for her her womb. But Rachel was barren. And Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she named him Reuben. For she said, it's because the Lord has seen my misery and with the birth of her son here's what she says surely my husband will love me now and those words are so heartbreaking surely if i give him children he will love me surely she will love me if i make more money if i buy her a bigger house a nicer car Surely he will love me if I just do whatever it is that pleases him. But Jacob never loved her. He never loved her. And when you compromise, compromise eventually brings about resentment, especially in relationships. Okay, we're reading through this story. Both are steeped in the tradition of God and the spiritual things in their life. What is one thing missing in the story? Prayer. You don't read anything from, from Jacob, from Laban, from Leah or Rachel. There is nothing mentioned about prayer. No evidence of them seeking God like you would always hear. 
And though they came from a strong spiritual heritage, there is now no spiritual connection in all of this. And let me just say it this way. To be really fulfilled in life, you need to find the one. But the one is never a human relationship. It is never a person. It, it is always him who created us, who knows us, who understands how to fill the void in our lives through a spiritual connection with him. God is always your one. Okay, stay with me. God is always your one. Your spouse is always your two. I love Vicki. I would lay my life down for her. There is no one on this earth that is even a close second. (laughs) But I love God so much more than I love her. He has done such an incredible work in my life. He is my best friend. He's with me every morning from the time I get up until I go to bed at night. His thoughts are always on my mind. I just, I love him. I want him to always be my one. God is always one and relationships are always secondary. And what I have found is the more I put God one, the more he develops my number two. Come on, do you understand what I'm saying? He builds that up. God is always one. What did Jesus say was the one command above everything else? How did Jesus put it? Jesus said, you have to make God number one. You are to love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. To really have the kind of marriage you want to have, you have to put your spouse second, and you have to put God number one. In relationships, friendships you have, you have to put God above that friendship and that relationship and watch God grow that relationship. And I'll just say it this way. There are some of you that are struggling in your relationships because the truth is God is not number one. You can love Christ and him not be number one in the same way that you can love your spouse and your spouse not be number one in your life. Boy, it is really quiet in here. I think I might just pass out and create some commotion up here today, all right? (laughs) Hmm. This story is so complex that we don't even have time to pull it all apart today. Look at the end of the story. Look at Leah. Leah has three sons. Why three sons? She thought every one of those sons would cause uh, Jacob to love her. doesn't work. She's having now a fourth son. She's tried this three times. hasn't worked. Let's go for number four, right? But something different happens. If you look at verse 35... It says she conceived, come on, this is huge, this is powerful. You're ready to say amen. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to this son, she said, this time, I will praise the Lord. I didn't do it before. The other three times I didn't praise the Lord, but this time's going to be different. The other times it hasn't worked, this time it's going to be different. I'll praise God. So she named him Judah, and then she stopped having children. (laughs) She stopped trying to 
resolve it with more and more and she just came to the place where she praised God. Okay, what I'm about to say is huge and you need to hear this because there are some of you here today that you feel very unloved and you feel it oftentimes like a failure in your life and you feel like you're, uh, maybe you have weak eyes either physically or inwardly. You look at yourself that way. Watch this. Leah, the unloved. Nobody wanted her. The failure, the one who had weak eyes. And by the way, if you don't get blessed by this, you don't have a blesser. Jesus had weak eyes. It's not the pretty picture that you see hanging on a wall. Jesus, scripture says he had no beauty or majesty that would attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we would desire him. Even later as they would whip and beat him, scripture would tell us he was like an, uh, you couldn't even tell he was a human being. Think about that the next time you look in the mirror and you think you have weak eyes. You just think about Jesus. And what is so amazing about this last child, this son that Leah names Judah. Here's the deal. It was Leah, the older one. The one that was less attractive. The one that was unloved. The one that was unwanted. It was Leah, not Rachel, that was the mother of Judah, through whom centuries later, God would send the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, who would one day be born and lay his life down for you and for me. (laughs) Wow. Well, I got blessed at that. I don't know if you did or not. Proving once again in Scripture that out of something that did not start right, that was broken and looked on by the world as that which was ugly, God brought one of the most beautiful miracles in the history of the world. And I really want you to hear this. (laughs) If your marriage did not start right, or it has not been right, if there are two that are seeking the one Together, anything is possible. Anything is possible. Everything is possible with God. It is possible. Our last Sunday, I had a couple that just hugged me and didn't want to let go. And I thought as they left, I I thought of the two or three years before that. And I thought of a broken marriage and a broken relationship and all of us would have put like, like if we were gamblers, we would have put nothing on, we wouldn't even put a penny down on that. But all of a sudden, one, one week I saw one come and just pour their heart out at the altar. They wouldn't even sit together and didn't even attend the same church. I mean, the same service. The next Sunday, I saw the opposite one come over here and just weep. And then the next Sunday, I saw them both come together. Because nothing is impossible when you have two that are seeking the one. And if you have a relationship that has gone south, if you will humble yourself. It might be a relationship with a child, a daughter, a son. It might be a relationship with a brother or a sister, a mom or a dad. Uh, If you humble yourself... And make God your number one above everything else and ask God to help you. Nothing is impossible 
with God. Sometimes when you see me pause and look around, it's not because I don't have anything to say. It's because I'm trying to let the Holy Spirit filter it. Let me just say it this way. I already love you enough to say that there are some of you that need to die to yourself and put your pride down and lay it all down your selfishness in your marriage selfishness in your family your kids don't do what you want them to do well that's because they're gone and they're on their own and you need to let that go and you need to ask God to help you and to forgive you and to lay your pride down and just God's just saying just Give yourself to me and watch what I can do. Amazing things that you wouldn't believe, Scripture says, even if I told you. Would you bow your heads with me? If you are married, in fact, I'm going to ask my wife to come up here. If you are married and you are by your spouse or near them, would you just grab the hand of your spouse You may have never prayed together. You may not know how to pray, and that's okay. I'm going to pray for all of us. Father, right now, in a spirit of humility, all of us bow our hearts before you. And we are asking, God, teach us how to make you our one. God, there is no telling what you could bring out of brokenness and a relationship that is surrendered to you because to really be fulfilled God we have to make you our one no one can fulfill all of our needs except you and so I pray for all of those that are married today we'll start there and I pray for every relationship today God that you would strengthen it and that you would give all of us give us Spirits of humility. It is not important that we are right. It's important that we are one together with you. God, I know there are marriages that have been strained deeply, maybe hurting. Maybe there's somebody can't even hold a hand today because there is pain there. Maybe there's somebody here today and their heart is broken because their spouse isn't even here. Maybe they are filled with images that have been burned in because of a bad marriage or bad relationships or bad friendships and it just seems like there is no hope but I just pray today that your spirit God would do an amazing thing that you would go even beyond what we think you can do I pray for relationships that are damaged that you bring healing Let there be forgiveness and grace and hope and restoration and may love abound rich and freely as they make you their number one. Now there are some of you here just with our heads bowed and eyes closed that are not married. Maybe you're young and you still have your future out in front of you or maybe you've been hurt and that relationship was broken or maybe... Your spouse was taken and there is this emptiness and this loneliness and you wonder if it'll ever get better. But just this morning, and you don't even know what that means, you just want 
to hope for a godly uh, presence in your life that will bring you hope and healing and help. Maybe there are some that aren't married and you have a hope that one day God will bring a wonderful man or woman into your life. So God, I thank you for those that are thinking ahead. This series will be so rich for them as well. It, is, it will build a strong foundation for their relationships. And I pray that we would make you first in every way. And then God, as we are pursuing you, at the same time, we know that you will bring somebody, a number two, into their lives. So we're just going to thank you in advance for that. For those that maybe they're not pursuing a number two, but maybe there is an emptiness because they have lost a spouse that they were with for so long. And there is an emptiness and a brokenness. God, be their closest friend. Draw close to them early in the morning and all through their day. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. 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 I'm going to ask those who will help us with communion this morning if they would come and take their place and begin to distribute the elements. I just want to say that you don't have to be a member to receive communion and in our church, it's simply a symbol of grace for every follower of Christ who has been forgiven of their sins through God's grace. As the ushers serve you, the easiest way is if you would take the tray and pass it to the person next to you, then take the bread, which is in the middle, and then take the cup. And if you would uh, do that, it would make it much easier as you pass those. And then if you will hold those elements while the praise team sings a beautiful song and just hold those and then at the end we will partake of the elements together. And as the song is sung and as you hold the elements, here's what I would ask you to do. Maybe this can be a fresh start for many of you. Maybe you got a good marriage and you're just praying, God, make it even better in the days ahead. I humble myself, God, as I hold the elements of your grace you show me how I can make you more number one in my life in order that my relationship with my spouse would even be better. Or, or, or maybe you hold the elements and maybe you're just reminded of the price that was paid for your salvation and you just give thanks. And we're going to ask these if they would to go ahead and distribute the elements. Father, just now as they distribute these that represent your broken body and shed blood. May our hearts give thanks, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.